Hey, thanks for joining us online this morning as we continue our study in Romans. Several years ago, we were on a family vacation and we made a stop at the Arch in St. Louis. And I bought an all-access pass for all four members of my family. And the first thing we did was get in this little cable car to take us to the top of the arch so we could see out over the city. When I bought that all-access pass, I didn't think about the fact that every one of my family members hates heights. So as we scrunched in there, my younger son said, uh, whose idea was this anyway? Well, it was mine. And that got me to thinking, uh, how secure is the attachment between the cable car and the pulley? Because if we get up a couple of hundred feet and, and that thing goes, that's, that's a bad deal. Everybody I love is in this cable car. Man, I hope the attachment is secure. Uh, it would have been good to know about the, the construction process, but I, I didn't have that opportunity as we're sitting in the car. Well, we went up, spent a minimal amount of time top of the arch and came on down. Everything was fine. But yeah, that raises the question, why are we secure in our relationship with God? How, how do we know? Are we in danger? A little bit like I felt in, in that cable car. I don't think so. And I want to talk about why this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12. We're going to go through verse 21 and wrestle with this question. Why, why are we secure in our relationship with God? As you're turning there, uh, let me say that our, our passage starts with the word therefore. And therefore is always a connector. It always talks about what has been said in the past. And in Romans 5, 1 to 11, Paul has said that we have a, a secure hope. Uh, we're reconciled. Uh, we have peace with God. Uh, beyond Romans 5, uh, Paul has laid out the human condition of being sinful and separated from God and talked about the glorious gospel. And he said, I, I'm not ashamed of this gospel for it's the power of salvation to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Uh, we've talked about that, but because of that, Paul can talk about our security in the Lord. So what he's going to do is he's going to do a, a comparison and a contrast between Adam and Jesus. And here's the comparison. One incident affected everybody. One action on behalf of Adam and one action on behalf of Jesus impacted everybody. So he'll make that comparison and he'll contrast some differences but he'll really highlight that, that one action impacted the world. So with that backdrop, let me read verse 12. Therefore, there's our connected word, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Boy, if ever there's a time we should understand the idea of Death spreading through one person. It's right now. 
You know the COVID virus? It started with one person somewhere. And when it came to the United States, it, a person here and a person there, and it, and it spread. We get that idea, or we ought to. Well, well Paul said there, there's an even more concerning spread. It's in Adam. We inherited a spiritual condition. It spread to every person born in the history of the world. Uh, we all have this tendency like Adam to rebel against God, to say, no, I'll do my own thing. So, so we've all got that tendency. And at the end of verse 12, uh, Paul says, because all sin. Not only do you and I have this sinful tendency, we sin. <laughs> so, so we're guilty. We're condemned before God. And people say, well, you know, Andy, that's, that's, that's not fair. Uh, well, that's just wrong. I would suggest that would be a foolish response. If you heard me speak before, you know I've, two of my grandfathers, both of my grandfathers died of a stroke. At 70 years old, my dad had a debilitating stroke. Listen, I have inherited a physical tendency towards stroke. And so they look at my blood pressure and they look at my cholesterol and they look at all these risk factors. Now, I would be foolish to say, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to accept that. That's just not fair. No, hopefully I can learn, and together with a doctor, we can plot a course that maybe I can avoid this tendency or this risk. Well, Paul's telling us of our tendency, and he said, I've got some ideas to plot a course so you don't have to fall into this risk. So, so we're setting up one action by Adam, one action by Jesus affected everybody. That's a comparison. But as he's prone to do, Paul takes a tangent, starting in verse 13, and he won't come back to this comparison until verse 18. So let's, let's take the tangent with him. Verse 13, for until the law was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Paul's going to say, look, uh, there was... No law, when there was no law, people weren't aware of their sin, but, but they still had the same sinful condition. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. From Adam until Moses, God hadn't given his law. You say, well, if there's no law, there was no sin. No, no, no. no the sinful tendency was there. The law only exposed that reality. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. And here's the comparison. Who is a type of him who was to come. Adam's one action condemned people. Jesus' one action freed people. So then Paul continues with this comparison and contrast starting in verse 15. And he's going to contrast... The one action of Adam with the one action of Jesus. Here's what he says. But the free gift is not like the transgression. So there's free gift, Jesus, transgression, Adam. For if by the transgression of one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus, abound to many. See, see there's, there's the contrast. Adam's one action brought death. Jesus' one action 
brought life. It brought grace. It brought abundance. Again, verse 16, we're going to get a contrast. The gift, Jesus, is not like that which came through the one who sinned, Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. You hear those words, Adam? Sin. Condemnation. Judgment. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Do you see the contrast? Condemnation, justification. So Adam sins and it condemns everybody. Everybody stands under condemnation and all that comes down and is solved in one action, the action of Jesus. He goes on with this contrast. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. What did Adam's one transgression bring? It brought death. What did Jesus' one gift brought? It brought life. It brought grace. It brought abundance. So we have this contrast before he goes back to the comparison. So you say, Andy, what's, what's the point? What's the point in making the comparison and the contrast between Adam and Jesus? Each one's one action affects everybody. I think Paul's point is that we might understand what we have in Jesus. So in the fall of 1978, I started college at Texas A&M. And I would come home and talk to my parents and I'd say, man, you don't, you don't know how hard it is. I mean, I, I've got a problem set. I got four classes. I got a problem set every night. And I, I would say that problem set takes two hours. And then I have a lab, you know, uh, a lab, a, a write-ups, you know, it's probably 20, 25 pages minimum. Three hours in the lab, you got to read it before. You got to go to help sessions, you got to do all this stuff. And my parents would say, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I understand that, but do you understand that um, your, all your meals are prepared for you? You walk down a uh, a flight of stairs, and you can be in the cafeteria in three minutes, and, and your food's ready to go. And by the way, you don't have to do any dishes. And then if you need to do laundry, uh, literally the laundry room was five seconds from my dorm room, right across the hallway. And then my, my long, long commute was going from 293 Aston Hall to Zachary Engineering Center. That was opposite sides of the campus of Texas A&M. Do you know how long that commute was? Walking? About 10 minutes. My dad was working in Houston at the time. He said, Andrew, a good commute for me is, is 45 minutes in a car. That, that's if there's no traffic problems. <sighs> but I just thought, you, you don't understand what I have, how hard it is in the university. So my sophomore year, end of the year ends, and at that time the oil companies were hiring uh, 
engineering students. They'd pay you this ridiculous wage to try and recruit you. And so I get a job working in a gas plant in Snyder, Texas. It's 12 weeks. I'll spend six in the gas plant, two with the operations guy, two with the guys in the truck going to the wells, and the last two I'll be in the office. And I want to focus on those six weeks in the plant. There were 23 compressors. I would guess they had a, a footprint that was 20 by 20. And they're throwing off heat and they're throwing off all kinds of stuff. And it was our job to go in there and on a regular set, we'd, we'd, we'd change out the plugs and you have to lean over that thing. And there was a, a wench that went overhead and, and you'd lift the head and you had to change the gasket and you did all this stuff. And that summer, the summer 1980, the state of Texas set a record for the number of days over 100 degrees. There was no climate control in the gas plant. And there was 30 minutes for lunch. You know, at, at A&M, I'd have a class at 9, and I'd have a class at 10, and I wouldn't have a class full 2. You had to work straight through. And they wanted me at work at 7.30. 7.30, I tell you. You know what? Those six weeks did for me. They made me realize what I have in the university. And, th and there was a chemical engineering major there. He was, he was the plant manager, but, but he was in the office. He would come out to see the foreman once in a while, but then he'd go back to the office. The, air, the, the office did have climate control. It did have air conditioning. See, that contrast helped me see what I have in the university. I think that's what Paul's trying to do. He said, you know, you can take what you have. We can take what we have in Christ for granted. But let's make a comparison. Let's make a contrast. What we would have outside of Jesus if we were in Adam. We're talking about the difference between death and life. We're talking about the difference between condemnation and justification. We're talking about the difference between sin and and righteousness. This comparison, this contrast helps us see what we have in Jesus. So remember in verse 12, Paul started to make this comparison that he takes this tangent and he makes these contrasts. Now we're going to go back to the comparison. Verse 18 and 19, here we go. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Condemnation versus justification. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many, all of us, were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many, all of us who believe, will be made righteous. Sinners versus righteousness. See, see there were two acts that affected humanity. Adam's act and Jesus' act. The good news for us is the act of Jesus overpowered the act of Adam. Both affected humanity. One act affected humanity. Jesus' act trumps the act of Adam. We started wrestling with this question, what's why do we know our, our relationship with God is secure? I mean, uh, we're, we're banking a lot on that. Just this is my family going up the, 
the, the cable car. I hope, hope the thing's attached to the cable. I hope there's, there's not, not rust or something that's eating away at that thing. What connects us to God as we go through life and go through eternity? Jesus does. So, so we're wrestling with that question. Why are we so secure in our relationship with God? Here's the deal. Jesus overpowers the power of sin. Jesus overpowers the power of sin. Nineteen twenty-eight. Alex Fleming discovered penicillin. That that had lots of applications, but maybe no more profound than on the battlefield. Because see, in in World War I, when a a soldier was shot, many times he would survive the gunshot, but he wouldn't survive the infection that followed. And the infection that started, well, it just, there was no stopping it, and it just overpowered it, the, the soldier's body, and, and eventually it killed him. But with the discovery of penicillin, when a soldier was shot and survived the gunshot, he could be injected with penicillin, and that penicillin overpowered the infection. On D-Day, the invasion, the Allied invasion, on the beaches of Normandy, to establish a beach, to, to, to finally defeat the Third Reich, there were 10,000 casualties. 10,000 deaths, Andy? No, no, no. 2,500 deaths. Just on that day alone, the discovery of penicillin might have saved up to 7,500 lives. Why? Because penicillin was stronger than the infection. In the same way, sin is killing us. It's overpowering us. It's controlling us. And we can't do anything about it. Until the one act of Jesus. And he comes in. And he overpowers the power of sin. That's something we can't do for ourselves. We can't secure our relationship with God on our own through our own good works. Listen to verses 20 and 21. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. That, that, that's at least our awareness of it would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, you know, when the law was introduced, uh, sin was actually, it actually increased. What does he mean by that? Well, let me give you this example. As, as you're out there watching, and I started this sermon, and I'd say, you know, I, I, I had a little spill just before I, I, I came on the camera, and I've asked Jared to try and uh, blotted out, but if you would not look at my shirt, I, I would appreciate that. What do you want to do? Well, well you want to look, you want to see. My uh, uh, outlawing something, my asking you not to do it, makes you want to do it all the more. Where, where's the spill? Where did, did, were they able to cover? Where, where did you spill? See, 
trying to follow the law to be good only sets us up for frustration. The, the point of the law is uh, to point us to Jesus. We need a cure for our infection from sin. We need a penicillin, if you will. See, see Adam's one act, man, it, it killed us. It doomed us. It condemned us. Uh, the comparison, contrast, if you will, is that Jesus, one act, it, it freed us. It, it gave us life. It, it made us righteous. It gave us standing that didn't belong to us. It made us justified just as if we'd never sinned. Gospel means good news. I think humanity's always in need of good news, but if ever there's a time we need good news, it, it's now. Get on my news app. I, I don't know where you get your news. It can be pretty overwhelming, can't it? Deaths are going up. Vaccine, maybe. This, that. Open, not. It, it's, it's, it's bewildering and it's, it's overwhelming. Andy, do you, do you have any good news? Yeah, I do. And here it is. In spite of what is going on, Jesus' one act has moved us out from the auspices of Adam's one act. See, before we were condemned, we we're facing death. But now in Jesus, we're talking about words of, of life and grace and righteousness and justification. You want some good news this week? Would you read the entirety of Romans 5 to see where you stand with God? No wonder Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of salvation. It's the power to undo the one act of Adam and make it right in Jesus. Well, if you've never trusted Christ and believed in him, that's what Paul's doing and that's what I'm begging you to do. Believe in him that you can move out from under Adam into Jesus. That you can be right with God. You know, one of my favorite card games to play, I've played it since I was in high school, played it a ton in college, is spades. You get four players, you deal out 15, 52 cards, everybody's got 13, and you're bidding tricks. If you don't know your cards, there's four suits. You've got the hearts, and you've got the clubs, and you've got the diamonds, and you got the spades. And, and then they go in order, each suit, the, the lowest is the two, and the highest is the ace. Two through ten, jack, queen, king, ace. And, and you bid tricks, and, and the highest card in the suit wins. And so somebody might lead out a queen of hearts. You've got to follow suit, and somebody puts a king, and then somebody puts an ace. You've you got some power cards out there. Now the rule in spades is if you don't have the suit, then you can play a spade if you choose on it, and that spade trumps all those other cards. So I could throw my two of spades on the queen, king, and ace of hearts, and I win the trick, even though my two is just itty-bitty compared to the queen, king, and ace. Why? Spades are all powerful. <laughs> It doesn't matter the rank of the other suit. The, the spade trumps it. So it is with Jesus. You say, Andy, you don't, you don't 
you, know, you, you don't know, you don't understand, you don't know how bad my sin was. You're right, I don't need to. But here's what I need to tell you. Jesus trumps that. He's more powerful than the sin that's infecting you and killing you. Would you believe in him? That you could have the security that Paul writes about so clearly in here. Why are we so secure in our relationship with God? Hey, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the fact that Jesus overpowers the power of sin. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for this word in the midst of a a really bad news time in our nation's history, in our world's history. There's good news that never changes. Uh, We have been moved out from the act of Adam to the act of Jesus. And we have been moved from condemnation to grace. We have been moved from death to life. Thank you that our security is not in what we do or what we think, or, but it's in Jesus. He overpowers the power of sin. We thank you in his name. Amen.